1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 17, page 1136 in the Pew Bible. Paul has been rebuking the Corinthians throughout this letter. A number of passages are sort of too hot to handle. And this is one of them that is the most blistering in his rebuke, his dissatisfaction, his discontent, his anger over what is going on in Corinth. And it has to do with the Lord's Supper. Well, by God's providence, here we are taking the Lord's Supper today. And uh, it's, a, it's a table of blessing. It's an occasion of joy. And yet for the Corinthians, it had become a curse. May God use his word today to strengthen us to receive the Lord's Supper and to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a way that is honoring to him and a blessing to us. And for those of us, uh, among us, our friends who are with us who don't know Christ as Savior, who haven't experienced the new birth through faith in Christ. May this occasion be an occasion of seeing Christ's glory and the sweetness of the gospel in a new way. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 17, page 1136. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Let's bow together and ask God to be with us as we open his word. Father, would you 
open your word to our hearts and minds? And would you open us to your word? And Father, would you lead us as we consider how to take the Lord's Supper in a way that honors you and that brings blessing and life among your people? Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and the gift from heaven. So may we focus our hearts on him and give great honor and blessing to you. May our hearts be humbled as we consider your great love, just as we've been singing, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen. I don't know if you've been uh, watching those Chronicles of Narnia movies as they've been coming out one after another. The next one that is supposed to come out, I don't know the... <coughs> I don't know what the date is supposed to be. The Silver Chair. And I'm excited to see it. The Silver Chair is about a quest. Uh, uh, a young man, a, a boy and a girl on a quest in the magical land of Narnia where all the animals talk. And they're sent on a quest to rescue the king who is in, in prison somewhere. And uh, they don't know any of the details of the quest, but at the very beginning of the story, Jill Pole is, uh, meets with Aslan, the king of beasts, the king of Narnia, and uh, he gives her the quest. He gives her the mission, and he gives her four signs by which she is to complete and follow her quest. And he teaches her to remember the signs, to recite the signs, to repeat the signs. He tells her she's got to repeat them to herself when she wakes up and when she goes to bed and in the middle of the night when she wakes up, she's got to keep reminding herself of the signs because when she goes down into Narnia, it will be hard to remember. So his last words are, remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. And I think it's easy for us also to forget the gospel, to forget what really matters, to forget what's most important, and to get distracted. I think this is what happened to the Corinthians. They were forgetting the gospel. The Christians in Corinth were, uh, were, were forgetting to remember and the, the worst part was that they were, they were defiling and ruining and spoiling the very thing that was to help them remember. So Paul says to the Corinthians, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do no harm, more harm than good. It's not really the Lord's Supper you're taking. And the way that you're handling the Lord's Supper is the reason that some of you are dying. And so it's so surprising that something that should be a blessing, was becoming a curse. We need help remembering the gospel. And the Lord's table teaches us to remember the gospel. That's what the Lord's table is for, the bread and the cup that we take, that we share together. We too easily forget, and we need the constant reminder, the repeated reminder of the Lord's table. As you look at the passage, it starts out, verses 17 through 22, with Paul uh, reacting to the situation in Corinth. What's going on when they meet together to share the Lord's Supper? And that's the part that's very unfamiliar to us. Of course, it was the part that was very familiar to the Corinthians, 
So that's where he started for the Corinthians. Then the second part of the passage, from verse 23 through 26, is where Paul recites and reports the teaching of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord concerning the Last Supper. That is, the, the Lord's Supper, which he gave at the Last Supper. And uh, that probably is more familiar to us. That material is read over and over again uh, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And then the last part of the passage from verse 27 on is where Paul deals with the consequences of how they're misusing and uh, dishonoring the Lord's Supper, the judgment that is coming upon them. So instead of starting with what is most familiar to the Corinthians... I think it would be helpful for us to start with what is most familiar to us, uh, that is, the teaching of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord regarding the, last supper, the, the Lord's Supper, which begin in verse 23. So that's where we're going to begin. And so we're going to look at what the Lord's Supper is for. And as I said, the Lord's Table reminds us to remember, and it reminds us to remember in gratitude. That's the thing that, that really jumps out to me as I read these, these first verses, 23 through 26. The Lord's table reminds us to remember in gratitude. First, it reminds us to remember, and that's the focus of the, the passage. If you, if you look there, verse 23, what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. So it's something that needs to be passed on. It needs to be kept. It needs to be preserved. And then what it is that Paul passed on to them is that twice, it's emphasized, twice Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. That it's about remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And then, of course, verse 26 wraps it up. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, announcing again and again through the generations until he comes again, the Lord's death. So it's about remembering. It's not about food and drink. It's not about just rehearsing the facts. It's not a rite that has some kind of power. The bread and the cup are not some kind of holy magic. Maybe we wish that it was but it's something at the heart of it that is more powerful than any of those things. Rather, it's in remembrance of Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And he himself is of far more importance and power. His presence with us through the Holy Spirit is far greater than anything else that we could uh, focus on or hope for. It's amazing that Jesus takes these elements at the Last Supper, which was a Passover meal, which Exodus chapter 12 tells us is a memorial to remember God's deeds in redeeming Israel. And Jesus takes the bread at the beginning of that supper and breaks it and says, remember me. Remember what I've done to redeem you. Uh, just like Jesus, to take the main place for himself and draw all the focus to himself. And he's worthy to have all the focus on him because he's King of kings and Lord of lords. So 
the Lord's Supper is Jesus' way of reclaiming our full attention to himself as our loving Redeemer. So the Lord's table is for remembering, and it teaches us to remember in gratitude. So the, the point of remembering is that our hearts are filled, our hearts are moved, our hearts are changed by thankfulness, by gratitude for what the Lord Jesus has done. Uh, at the very beginning of this passage, uh, in, uh, starting with verse 24, where it describes what Jesus did, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Thankfulness needs to be the keynote of every feast, not even the Lord's Supper. It's thankfulness. So Jesus is setting the example. He takes the bread and he gives thanks to God who provides bread, who gives life. Jesus is the bread of heaven, the one who gives eternal life. And our approach needs to be thankfulness, giving thanks. And look at, look at verse 23, just backing up, and, and see the, the, the context of this, because it helps, it helps you to start to get the feel of how the Lord's Supper is supposed to touch your heart, how it's supposed to move you. Uh, that's what I want us to get at, the, the gratitude with which we come to the Lord's Supper. So verse 23, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. The night he was betrayed. So there's this black backdrop for the Lord's Supper. Betrayal is the opposite of thanks. It is the opposite of the attitude with which we're supposed to come to the Lord's Supper. And there's this warning. Every time that we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that it was the night that Jesus was betrayed. Oh, may there not be betrayal in our hearts as we come to take these things. May we come with sincere and pure and thankful hearts as we come uh, to fellowship together with the Lord. So it was the night he was betrayed, so faithful and yet treated so unfaithfully. And then he took the bread and he broke it. He snapped that matzo cracker, that Passover unleavened bread, and said, this is my body. This is what's done to me. He faces his death for us with such courage, so matter-of-factly. You know, I, I get so squeamish and I have to struggle to control myself when I'm lying on a soft white bed with friendly people around who are concerned for my welfare and they get out that little needle and it's a very f- small, fine, sterile needle and it's full of Novocaine. And, I, you know, I'm just holding, you know, gripping the bed because I have to, you know, deal with this difficult situation and Jesus faces, you know, the, the large nails and the people gathered around to do him ill and to do him in. And it's not a nice bed, but it's the beam of a cross. He faced his death for us and, uh, and he accepted it. Jesus uh, said, this is my body, verse 24. So he, he gives us his body. So it isn't that, you know, the, the bread actually becomes the, the flesh of Christ or something like this. The point is that 
when we eat, it's an object lesson. Just as we take in this food, we're remembering that what it means is that we're, we're living by Jesus' death, that he becomes ours and we become his, that what sustains us and nourishes us and gives us life is his death, that we live by his gift, by his death, by his offering for us. And this is what moves us to gratitude. He is ours by grace. We are his by faith. His body is our body, and it's our life. His death is our life. So, uh, like it says in verse 25, the same thing about the cup. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in my blood. So the, the covenant, the promise of God, the life-giving promise of God to save his people in Christ's blood. So the cup is the token of those promises. It's the seal. It's the emblem. It's the sign of the promise of God to redeem and to save through Jesus Christ. So, you know, how, how does this work? The, the cup and the bread are tokens of promises, like a wedding ring. So, you know, there are so many things that have to come together in order for a wedding to take place. And finally, at some point in the wedding ceremony, each one takes a ring and puts it on the finger of the other and says, with this ring, I thee wed. So it's not a magic ring. It's just a token. It's just a symbol. It's just something used to remind and to communicate that we mean these vows, we mean these promises, that this love really does reside in my heart. And here is a reminder to keep on your hand and always refer to and remember my promise to you and my love to you. That's what the Lord's Supper is for us. So take the Lord's Supper with gratitude and humility. Remember that you live by his death, that his body had to be broken, and you have to take it and crack it again in your teeth and mash it and swallow it, and you live by the death of the Son of God and how this brings us down to the ground, how it humbles us that the Holy One would have to die that we might live. Sinners whose love can never forget the wormwood and the gall. We pass a cup of sweet grape juice. Jesus drank a bitter cup of the wrath that was measured up and stored up for us. And he took our cup and finished it. So take with gratitude, take with humility, take with a broken heart a broken, humbled heart. Like, uh, you know, standing at, at one of our national cemeteries at Bourne. I've been to the one in Chattanooga as well. And you see row upon row of white markers, evenly spaced, straight rows. Whichever direction you turn, you see another straight line. And the, 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 the image reminds you of the thing. 
Just as the bread reminds you that Jesus died to give you life and the cup reminds you that he shed his blood for you, so these markers, they remind you of the order, the discipline, the duty, the submission, the showing up where you are supposed to be, whether you wanted to or not, but you're in line. And some who are buried in those graves paid a price to be there, and they sacrificed their lives to be there. All paid some price to be there. And so it humbles you, and it moves your heart to look and to see what has been done for your freedoms and for your ideals and for your nation and for your life. And so we should come to the Lord's Supper with that humility, with a broken heart, with gratitude. The Lord's Supper teaches us to remember in gratitude. And the Lord's Supper also teaches us to remember in unity. So this is the part where the Corinthians were really falling down. I think if they had gotten the gratitude part correct, it would have helped them with the unity part. But it's their disunity that arouses Paul's re- uh, uh, his, his anger and his rebuke. So looking now at the situation in Corinth, starting with verse 17, chapter 11, verse 17 to 22, we turn to see what was going on in Corinth. And we see that the Corinthians were completely missing the point of the Lord's Supper. And instead of sharing together in unity as one body, one loaf, as we heard when, when Jeremy was preaching in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, that we're one loaf, that we're to be united together as we take the Lord's Supper, while the Corinthians instead were divided. So verse 17, Paul says that your meetings do more harm than good. And he says that when you come together, there are divisions, divisions. The Corinthians had so many issues over which they would divide. So here's another one. When they gather together at the Lord's table, there are divisions among them clicks and uh, it seems like separate dinner parties going on and they're illegitimate divisions so Paul says um, verse 19 no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval but they have illegitimate divisions among them which are making uh, a mockery of the Lord's table well if they're anything like Christians I've known they're probably following all the order with the, the cup and the bread, the special cup and the special bread, the special loaf that the Lord had commanded them about, and they're keeping all that in order. But there's disunity in the whole event and uh, a lot of chaos in the whole event. And what will help us is to think about how the early church would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They wouldn't just have... Uh, bread and cup at the end of a service the way we do, but they would have a special event with two parts. One part was the cup and the bread, and the other part was a fellowship meal, maybe um, called the the agape in, in the letter of Jude, chapter 12, the love feast or the fellowship meal. 
Um, so there was this meal that they would gather and they would share and they would enjoy. And um, just as the Lord Jesus at the Last Supper instituted the, the, the Lord's Supper with a special cup and a special piece of bread, so the Corinthians would have that cup and that piece of bread at a meal. So in the same kind of context. So it's very fitting. It's a great way to do things. Yeah. Good, good, good. All good. But what was happening was that their attitudes of pride and selfishness and their disunity were infecting that fellowship meal. And then uh, that disunity was infecting the Lord's Supper. And so the principle is that disunity and discord infect and pollute everything, even the most holy things in our lives. So when we come together with attitudes of superiority, attitudes of disdain, with divisions among us and fights between us that are illegitimate, then we're, we're making a mockery of the Lord's table. We're making a mockery of the Lord. So what was happening? What was the form of this divisiveness that was taking place? What was going on at this uh, fellowship meal that was so bad that it was polluting the Lord's table so that Paul says, that's not even the Lord's table that you're taking anymore. It's not even the Lord's supper. What were they doing? If you look at verses 21 and 33, you see the issue has something to do with waiting for each other. In verse 21, he says, As you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. And verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. But then there's another dynamic that's taking place that's a little bit more subtle, but it, it seems to be clear enough in the text, and it has to do with the haves and the have-nots. There were some people who had sort of a higher status in, in the society, in the Roman society in Corinth. And they, uh, they seemed to use their positions to their own advantage and to the disadvantage of others. And so if you look in verse 22, uh, you see, don't you have homes, literally houses? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So actually not everybody in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, would have had a house. But only certain people, certain classes, would have owned property and would have had a house. So there are those who are the haves, and they're humiliating, he says. You humiliate those who have nothing. So it seems that there's a division between those who are better off and those who are not so well off. And this would fit with, uh, with some people who are able to come early because they have a flex- flexible schedule because uh, they're wealthy and they're of that status and they have slaves to serve them and they can kind of show up at the right time for a nice dinner. And there are others who are very busy with their work. Maybe they're slaves themselves and they're part of the church. Or maybe they're 
you know, business people and they're tied up with a lot of things and they're not able to come at the same time. And so the wealthy people come and they enjoy a sumptuous feast, the Lord's Supper. They're enjoying the fellowship meal just, you know, kind of with their friends. Maybe they're having their slaves serve them who are also members of the church who will come and eat later with the common people. So it just appears that there might be something of this nature going on, some kind of division. Well, if there's a division, a social division taking place, then you can just add it to the category, add it to the catalog of all the divisions in Corinth, dividing about their favorite teachers, dividing about lawsuits, about food sacrifice to idols, what to eat, what not to eat. Who has the superior wisdom? And then we're going to get into the next couple chapters. Who has the superior spiritual gifts? So many divisions. And the divisions start with pride. And the divisions infect first one thing and then the other. The pride keeps infecting and bringing division until it pollutes the Lord's table. And, uh, and it creates chaos and brings a stinging rebuke from the apostle when he sees them. If we're proud and disrespectful, it contaminates everything in our lives. And there's nothing pure or holy left. So what can we do to restore unity among God's people? What can we do to preserve and restore unity in the church? Actually, funny enough, using the Lord's Supper rightly is a great way to preserve and restore unity because the Lord's table teaches us to remember in unity. We pass the cup one to another. We share all together at the same time from the bread. And we're all together, each one of us, in gratitude Uh, thanking God for what he's done for us. So just uh, as you take the Lord's Supper, just look around and recognize that in the same way that you're flooded with gratitude over what Jesus has done for you, and as you're humiliated and humbled before God, that you live by eating this bread symbolically like some kind of cannibal, that you live by the death of the Son of God. And it's such a a terrible confession to make when you take that. Remember that just as you're humbled to the dust and ashamed, so all of your brothers and sisters around you are humbled. And so isn't it delightful to be with people like that who are humbled that way in gratitude and love for such an amazing sacrifice that Christ has given for us? So the Lord's Supper teaches us to remember in gratitude, to remember in unity, and then to remember in reverence. And now we turn to the last part of the passage. The, answer, the, the uh, consequence to all the things that are going on in Corinth, the consequence is that they are coming under God's judgment. So Paul uh, teaches us that we should Use the Lord's Supper to remember in reverence. So we need to have reverence for the judge of all the earth who has called us to this table, to this feast, and reverence for our Father, who is a 
faithful father who disciplines reverence for our Redeemer. So why, why does God judge? Why does Jesus judge his people for misusing the Lord's table? It's so surprising that the table of blessing, the cup of blessing, as Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 10, should become a cup of curse, a cup of guilt, and a cup of judgment. It's not so surprising because while the Corinthians are not mocking Jesus, they're making a mockery of Jesus. Here they are sharing the, the cup and the, and the bread, proclaiming the Lord's death, and yet they're the very ones who are ridiculing it by their behavior and denying it by their divisions. So um, they're eating in an unworthy manner. If you look at verse 27, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Um, And so we should examine ourselves. And then verse 29 says, He who eats without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. We're supposed to recognize the body and blood of the Lord. It's about remembering. And because the Corinthians are coming without fully remembering, without paying attention, without that attitude of utter dependency, because they're coming rather with an attitude of pride and superiority, and they're carrying that attitude right into the Lord's Supper, because that selfishness is infecting what they do at the Lord's table and the attitude with which they approach it. They're bringing judgment on themselves. Paul says that they're eating and drinking judgment. Well, the cup and the bread are only symbols, but they mean something. Symbols mean something. So, you know, that wedding ring... You have that wedding ring, and it's only a ring. It's not a magic ring. It's just a token. It's just a pledge. It's just a symbol of the love and of the vows that you made. But you better be careful. If you're going to take off that wedding ring, you better have a good reason. If you're going to go around without it on, there's a certain person, maybe a lot of people, who will want an explanation for that. So it's only a token The Lord's table is only a token. But how we treat it is serious. And it it reflects how we're treating our Master, our Redeemer, our Lord, the one who gave himself for us. So is disunity the only sin Jesus will judge at the table? Beware of disobeying Christ. Beware of disobeying God's word in any area and coming to the Lord's table. Um, So Jesus judges. We see he says, there are some who are weak, there are some who are sick, there are some who have fallen asleep, which is a way of saying that they have died, just as Lazarus was said to have fallen asleep when he died in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. So people are dying because of how they're abusing the Lord's Supper, because of the attitude with which they approach it, and because the whole church gathered together is making a mockery of it 
by the shared attitude that they all have of pride and superiority, of divisions. Well, judgment is bad. It's shocking and and terrifying to hear of God putting people to death because of their disobedience and how they dishonor him. I would rather have the Lord take my life than leave me dishonoring him. And uh, I remember the time Bill Bright, uh, when I used to work, Cindy and I used to work for Campus Crusade crew. We were working in East Africa. And he he came to the country, uh, to Kenya, and he was challenging some of us and saying that uh, he, he had prayed a prayer. Lord, if ever I'm going to dishonor you. You know, there are many temptations in life. Lord, if ever I'm going to dishonor you, would you take me home? Have you prayed a prayer like that? That was his challenge to us. Have you prayed a prayer like that? Wow. Lord, I would rather, I would rather just lose my life, whatever that means, than go on and dishonor you with it. So how, how do we avoid judgment at the Lord's table? Look what he did for you. Remember with gratitude. Remember with a heart that's brought down to the dust, with a heart ashamed of your sins, that you live by his death. So tear down your pride and worship him at the Lord's table. <clears throat> See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Oh, may that crown be your delight, the crown that Jesus wore in order to redeem you, the King of love. So how do you come with a worthy, in a worthy manner? How do you come in a worthy way to the Lord's table? That's how, with that gratitude, with that humility, with that broken heart. <clears throat> the words of Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's bow in prayer. Father, would you meet with us as we come to your table today. Would you nourish us by the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, by your Spirit poured out in your grace. And Father, would you awaken the faith that we need to come with because we come so empty. We lack even the faith that we ought to have. Would you send your Spirit to bring life into our hearts that we might receive with great gratitude and with great awe and wonder and reverence. Bless this time we have now. In Jesus' name, amen.